Everyone doing good today? How's everyone's new year going? It is an honor and a privilege to be able to speak here every Sunday with you guys. Uh, I can honestly tell you, you know, looking back upon my years in church, which haven't been very long, uh, you know, I'm 30 years old. I've been in church, you know, a good, you know, a third of that, that portion of my life, about 10 years. And every time that I've, I can think about our church and I think about the people of our church, I think about how awesome th- these people are that, that are here among you guys this week. Um, a lot of times I will get the question of why isn't your church doing this? Why isn't your church bigger? Do you have a secretary? Do you have this? And we're like, well, no, we don't have those things yet. We want those things. We desire those things. But what we do have is a group of people who are real and honest. I talked to a friend of mine that said, you know what, I would love to go to church, Felix, but I would probably just be a hypocrite among all your people. And I said, well, dude, honestly, you don't even have to be that because everyone here is pretty upfront with their, their lives. We know that people here struggle. We know that people here have problems and issues. And listen, we are all okay with that. And the fact that we were able to have long-suffering and patience with people here is one of the things that I love about this church. It's one of the things that I think makes this church great. And in 2016, I've asked this last week. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to ask you this week. is to just suffer with me. Long-suffer with me through this year. I would love to see everyone who is here today be here the next year, January 1st, whenever we have Sunday service next year, again, plus with your friends and your family members. So often we start off this year, and I'll stand here on January 1st, the first Sunday of January, and I'll look out into the crowd, and I'll look over and see so many faces, and by the end of the year, most of those people are gone. And we talked last week about distractions and how some of those people have left because of job transfers. Some people have left because, you know, they, their family moved to a different state or a different city, whatever. But majority of people will leave because they get distracted by either someone, either it's a relationship in their life, they get distracted by um, some type of addiction in their life, or maybe they get distracted by the enemy telling them that because they screwed up or they've messed up in some certain way, that there's this lie that the enemy tells us that they are not welcomed in a church, which is a total lie from the enemy. And so all I'm asking you guys here today, before we even get started on this message, is to simply long suffer with me. No matter what distractions come your way, know that this is a church that loves you. Know that this is a church that's going to walk beside you. Know that this is a church that no matter what happens this year, no matter what distractions, look, it might even be a bad distraction. It might be a good distraction. It might be that you get a really awesome job and you can't make Sundays and you think, man, I, I have to be at work every Sunday. Be not, I'm going to look bad to my boss, but you don't have the guts to say, no, I need to take some time off, whatever it is. When you put Jesus first, this coming year, and may at the end of the year, may you be sitting in these chairs, and I pray to God that among you will be your friends, your family members, people who do not know Jesus, your co-workers, your, your, your people around you, your neighbors. May you be a church that spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ in 2016. Do you think we can do that in 2016? I think so. All right. Thank you. Well, um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to the gospel of Mark We'll be starting in chapter 14. Back in January 2014, think about two years ago, January 2014, we started a sermon series on the gospel of Mark. And for the past two years, 
For the past two years, we have been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. We have read chapters 1 through 13. We finished up 13 right before Christmas last year. And for two years straight, 1 through 13, 13 chapters in two years in one sermon series, 13 chapters verse by verse to the gospel of Mark. It has been an overwhelming um, just feeling to have when we go verse by verse. We have tackled topics and issues that normally I might have not even touched as a pastor. We have uh, let God speak to us whenever people come into church and they hear the message and they're like, whoa, how how did you know I was going through that? Did you write that for me? I'm like, no, it was just the next thing that was on the list. Like, I promise you, it was the next thing like, that's the next thing that we're supposed to preach on. And so we've been preaching preaching verse by verse, and it's just kind of something we do here at Impact City. You know, we preach exponentially through the Bible, and we do it because, one, I never want to be the pastor that allows my feelings and my, just, you know, my flesh to get in the way of what God is doing here in this church. Like, I never want to be the pastor that says, well, I know God wants us to do this, but I really feel more comfortable doing this. Or, you know what, I know God says to, to, to look like this type of church, but I'm going to make my church look like this because this is what I want. I never want to be that. And so part of the, the way that I prevent myself from allowing my flesh and the things that I want lead this church, I allow God lead this church by preaching verse by verse through the Bible. It's just kind of the way we do things around here. And this next year, 2016, is no different. We're going to be starting the year off with the beginning of chapter 14 in the Gospel of Mark. And by Easter, we're actually going to finish the whole Gospel of Mark. We'll be ending ver- uh, chapter 16 by Easter. And you're like, well, what's to come? What's after this? Like, I- I've been here, uh, Pastor, the whole time I've been here, all we've ever done is preach Mark. Well, I don't know, maybe we'll hit up Ephesians or Philippians or maybe we'll go Old Testament, do Genesis or something. Maybe we'll go crazy and do Revelation. I don't know. But whatever we do next, we're going to go through another book of the Bible and we'll see what God has in store for us there. But you don't want to miss a Sunday between now and Easter. You really don't want to miss a Sunday between now and Easter because if you know the book of Mark, if you know the gospel of Mark, you know that as we're getting close, this is the last week of Jesus. This is the last week that Jesus is here on earth. And if you know anything about the gospel of Mark, you know that the story is fixing to just get so good. Like it's fixing to get better. This is the climax of the movie. This is the untombed stone where I'm your huckleberry. You know, you know, there's, you know, don't, you know, whatever the, the guys are, Doc Holliday and all those guys are, they're fixing to do the gunfight. And they're like right there. This is the moment in Avengers when the Avengers are squaring off against, you know, the, you know, the, the enemy, well, you know, uh, Loki, whatever the guy's name is. This is the moment in Star Wars where, no, I'm not going to ruin it. I saw the movie yesterday. I won't ruin it for you, but I can tell you that my emotional strings were tugged as a child growing up as a Star Wars nerd. But this is that moment in the story, the Gospel of Mark, where where Jesus is fixing to hit the climax of the story. And right before that, Mark sees it fit to give us just one more gem of a story. Just one more, it was just one more quick little story before he gets into the actual climax of the main point of this story, which is the fact, and spoiler alert, Jesus dies, you know, but he gets resurrected. Before we get into that, he has one more gem of a story. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. And we'll go ahead and look at that story today. Let me read this here. It says, It was now two days before the Passover, over the Feast of Unleavened Bread, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. 
talking about Jesus. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So the, they, the, the, the priests are already plotting the next chapter of this, of this story of Jesus. They know that, that, that they need to kill Jesus. And they're already plotting how to do it in a stealthy, quiet way. It says here, the next verse says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table, and a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she came and broke the flask, and she poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold and for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly... I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What's going on here? I want us to look at a couple of questions here in the story. Because what's going on is is Mary is doing something. There was a woman named Mary, and she's doing something to Jesus. Number one, there's a couple of things we're going to look at. Number one is, what did Mary do? What did she do? The second thing we're going to look at is, why did Mary do it? What did she do? What, why did she do it? And the third thing, how was she able to do it? So what did she do? Why did she do it? And how was she able to accomplish what she did? And as we see these answers to these questions, you will start to see and understand that Jesus really is a guy that you can, can't just casually worship. As you start to look at what Mary did, you'll understand that Jesus is not a man. He's not a God that we can just casually worship on our own. But he is actually a God who is better than everything else. And because Jesus is better, with everything we have, we are required to worship him. Jesus isn't someone who requires just a little bit of your life. Jesus requires everything about you. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your attention. He wants all of your life. So if you're taking notes, our first question is this. What exactly did Mary do? What did she do? Let's read again, starting in verse 3. Verse 3 says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. And there were, some of the, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So in Matthew 26 and in John 12, there was also a recorded history of this story. And in the Gospel of John, we learned that this woman is actually Mary of Bethany. She is sister to Martha and sister to Lazarus. And you might remember Lazarus. He's the guy that Jesus woke up from the dead. The dude was dead for like three days. His body was starting to stink. And he actually was awakened by the, from the dead by Jesus. So by reading all three Gospels, by reading all three stories, you can kind of get an idea of what is happening in this story. Now, we're not going to read all three stories, but you can just take my word for it that what is going on right now is that there is going, that what is happening is there is a thank you dinner being thrown for Jesus. 
Like they're Mary and Martha and Lazarus are throwing a thank you dinner for Jesus, and they're doing it in the house of Simon. Now, Simon was a leper who we can just kind of assume that he is not a leper anymore because he's actually throwing a party. Lepers were cast out. Lepers were viewed as dirty, um, you know, not able to be amongst people. But the fact that he is in his home and he is throwing a party for Jesus tells me that maybe Jesus healed Simon too at some point in time. We can just kind of assume that because that was kind of what Jesus did was heal people at the time. And so Simon and Mary and, and Martha and, and Lazarus are all around and throwing a party for Jesus. Let me just set the scene here. You can imagine Simon and his family are together. You know, you know he's a leper. He came back from, from not being a leper. So all his family like, oh, wow, Simon, you're not gross and nasty anymore. You want to hang out with us? You know, many family members do that today. You know, like, hey, he got a job. Come hang out with us now. You know, so he, he's hanging out with his family. All his, all his family members are there. There's Mary there. Martha's there. Lazarus is there. You better believe that they're like Hispanics and everyone gathers together. They bring their kids and their, grand, you know, their grandchildren, their cousins, their primos and prima, you know, everyone gathers together. And so you got to believe that between them and Jesus and his disciples, there was probably over 40 people in this home. Like 40 people. It's like, it's like our church gathering, just having a big party like we always do. And they're gathered, they're eating, they're feasting, everyone's having a great time. And can you imagine the silence, the pin drop that you could hear whenever Mary came up and kind of did this crazy thing. She kind of did this crazy thing when she came and broke this alabaster jar. All of a sudden, Mary walked in and she did something that caused the party to come to a screeching halt. Because there's always one person like that in every party, right? There's always that one person that's got to ruin the party somewhere through. You know, everyone's having a good time. They come like, oh, it never gets my... They're like, just like a, you know, bump on the log. Like, there's always that one person. Mary was that one person. So she comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, and she, you know, which literally is like very expensive perfume here. And she goes over and she breaks it and she pours it all over Jesus' head. And in that moment, everyone lost their dang minds. Like, everyone freaked out because they were like, what are you doing? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mary, do you, do you realize what you're doing here? Like, look, who, look that, that is our alabaster fast jar with our pure nard. And you guys are like, what's the difference? Like, we use nard to cook tortillas. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not the same thing. Like, it's, it's different. It's different. This stuff was expensive, very expensive perfume. And this is something that Mary just took and broke and poured it all over Jesus' head. That, that jar, that, uh, you know, why would they respond like that? Because that jar that she broke was worth over 300 denarii. Now, what is 300 denarii? It's, it's 300 days wages. And for many of us here in Corpus Christi, I think that can average out to thirty to $45,000. For some of us, that might be a little more, it might be a little less, but thirty dollars to $45,000 in her hand that she took and she broke and she just poured it all over Jesus. The alabaster flask itself was probably like a family heirloom. It just wasn't something they just kind of, like you don't put that much pure ointment and pure nard, that, that fragrance, you don't put it in any old flask. You put it in the most beautiful thing that you have, the most precious thing that you jarred at flask you can find. This was probably a, a family heirloom. This was also their safety net. There was no banks back then. So this was their safety net. This was whenever there was times of war or times of, of drought or times of famine. This is where they would turn to to make a living. Whenever they didn't have a job to turn to, this was their savings account. This was all that they had. 
This was all of their income, all of their provision. If something was to ever go wrong, this is the last thing that they had to live on, okay? And she goes and she just breaks it and pours it all over Jesus' head. I'm going to keep saying that because I want you to just imagine all that just gone, just put on his head. I mean, this is something that they would turn to for help. It was literally all that they had by, by, by showing this, by pouring it on Jesus' head. She was showing Jesus that he was better than this, her most prized possession. She was showing him that he was better than this. It was her most valuable thing. And, but she didn't just stop there. No, Mary didn't just stop there by pouring it on his head. They go on to say that she proceeded to shock the room by getting down on her knees and wiping his feet with her hair. You're like, okay, what's so crazy about that? That's just, that's a wild night for many of us. You know, like, that's just, like, this was, this was crazy back then. Because in ancient culture, in the near ancient East culture, a woman's hair was her glory. Her woman's hair was her glory. She never would let her hair down except for the privacy of her home with her husband. Mary wasn't married, by the way, okay? And so she was there, and she had her hair all tied up, and she let her hair down in front of Jesus. And she got down on her knees before Jesus and with her hair started wiping his feet, which, by the way, is a very, very intimate thing to do. It's a very intimate, loving, emotional connection that she is building with Jesus here. She's taking her personal, her hair, her most glorified part of her body, and she is wiping it on the feet of Jesus. Not his hands, not his shoulders, not his chest, not his face, his feet. From her biggest glory to the dirtiest part of Jesus, she is wiping her best, all that she had on him. And Mary did this, and what she did was not only financially irresponsible with the alabaster jar, but it was also physically scandalous to do in front of Jesus, and it didn't matter to her. She didn't care. She was like the honey badger. She just didn't care. Some of you guys will get that later, okay? Mary didn't care what people had to say about her. She didn't care what people had to say. She knew that she was doing something totally radical, and she did not care. And just by doing that, she just wanted to worship Jesus with everything she had. By breaking the alabaster jar, she worshiped Jesus with everything she had, all of her possessions, everything in her, in her possessions, everything she had. She worshiped Jesus with that, and then she wanted to worship not only with everything that she had, but everything everything that she was by letting her hair down, all of her glory, her most personal prized thing that she had about herself. She worshiped Jesus with everything she had and everything that she was. Now it begs the question, why the heck did she do that? Because I didn't see anyone else doing that. Why did she do that? Really more so, what did Mary see that the other people in the room did not see that would have caused them to do the same thing? Because I didn't hear Peter doing it. You know, I didn't hear about Peter being like, oh, let me do this. No, like, I didn't see that in the story, you know. It was just Mary. Let's look again at verse 6. Verse 6 says, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
For you, uh, you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. See, this ointment of pure nard and, and this pure ointment was something used for anointing and preparing dead bodies before burial. It, it, they didn't have, you know, they, they couldn't embalm people the way that they do now. There wasn't all this great, you know, technology. So literally they would to keep a body from imploding and, and getting all nasty and gross and all, you know, walking dead and stuff. What they would do is they would cover the body with ointment of pure nard and, and stuff like this to keep the body smelling good so it can last longer, so people can view the body, so people can see the last respects. So this nard that she had was for that reason. It was a very costly thing began it was very strong in scent remember that the stuff that she poured over jesus wasn't just some mandeca or something that went over him this was something that smelled very good this was something that was very strong in its scent it was used to cover up the stench of death which brings me to this next point this is why it was so valuable this is why everyone like, well, what was so valuable about it? It was because whenever times of war would happen, then lots of people would die. And they would need ointment to anoint these bodies. They would need ointment to cover these bodies. And so guess who had it? Mary had some of it. She could sell it for wherever she wanted because they needed to make sure these bodies were not going to stink up the, the tomb before they put them into rest. Imagine the amount of money Mary could have, have made by selling that. Over 300 denarii. $45,000, even upwards of that. But yet she decided to do something different, and she broke it over the head of Jesus and poured it over him, and she knew that he was going to die. She was anointing his body before burial because she knew that he was going to die. Jesus had said this over and over again throughout the Gospels. He was constantly telling his disciples, Hey man, guess what? I'm going to die. Guess what? This is going to happen. Guess what? It's going to get bad. You know what? Everything's going good now, but when as soon as this happens, I mean, people are going to turn against me. Judas, you're going to betray me. I know you are. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and then I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And he told this to all of them, everyone around. Everyone knew he was going to die. The chief priests knew it. They were planning to kill him. The Pharisees knew about it. Yet for some reason, when his disciples would hear it, they would always reject Jesus' teaching. They would always reject it. They couldn't possibly imagine a Messiah that wasn't going to be a military ruler, an awesome king, a conqueror, but rather a Messiah that was actually going to just come and die. But Mary heard him. Mary was there and she believed him. And she used the best ointment of pure nard that she had to anoint his body before burial. See, Mary, she knew who Jesus was. She knew he wasn't just some guy that was talking. She knew he was a, a, the Messiah. Because she had seen him raise her brother from the dead. She, had, she was there. They said that, that whenever Jesus got to the tomb of Lazarus, he was crying and weeping. And he went up to the tomb and he said that everyone, the disciples were with him and Mary and Martha with him. He said, Lazarus, get up and walk out. And so she saw her brother who was dead, who she knew was dead, who she anointed probably with those same nard and, and, you know, and, and anointing oil. And she saw him walk out of the tomb. So when she saw Jesus do this, 
She knew he was real. She had listened and she had been moved by his teachings. Later on, you're going to hear that she was always at the feet of Jesus. This wasn't someone who was casually pursuing a relationship with Jesus. This was someone who was intimately pursuing a relationship with Jesus the way we ought to be intimately pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And because of her belief, because she believed Jesus so, so well, she made the choice to serve him. She made the choice to worship him, to love him above everything else that she had and above everything else that she was because she knew that he was the Messiah. And that's why she did it. She gave everything she had and everything she was to Jesus because she knew and believed and trusted in Jesus as the Messiah. You see, Mary had a proper view of Jesus. Mary had a healthy and proper view of Jesus What are you able to give Jesus to show him how much you love him? How do you view Jesus? It's basically like this. How you are able to give, what you are able to give Jesus shows how you view Jesus. What you are able to give Jesus shows how you view Jesus. How do you view Jesus? Do you view him as just a friend? Someone who's just an acquaintance? Do you view him as someone who's always there for you? Someone that you can call upon in trouble or in need? And listen, if, if you view him like this, to be all those things, a friend, someone you can go to in need, your easy button, whatever it is, if you're, if you're able to view him like that, you're going to offer him a lot of things, including, you know, a year's worth of income. You're going to do that because you, that's, what you, that's what you feel like. These are the people in church that always come to church, always do the, the legalistic things. The, they always tithe. They always make sure that they give, they serve. This is because you view Jesus as a great person who is a great person to, to worship in that way. You give him all that you have, but that is good and all, but that is not all that Jesus requires from us. That is not all that Jesus requires from us. Because if you believe that Jesus is God, if you believe that he is the resurrection and the life, and it is by that, that belief in him like that, then you will be able to give him not just everything that you have, but everything that you are. You will be able to surrender your life to Jesus for whatever amount that costs, even to the point of death. See, Mary had that proper view. She gave him everything she had. She was humiliated in front of everyone in that house because so she can worship Jesus with her hair. She gave him everything. For Jesus, nothing less than worship will do. Nothing less than pure worship will do. Mary's response and affections were so proper, so matched and worth, worthy of him that Jesus said this about her. Jesus said, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And it's true because we're talking about it today. Jesus said that what she did here, this story is going to transcend generations. The way she worshiped me is going to transcend generations. Let me ask you this. The way you worship Jesus, will your great-grandchildren look at you and say, the way my great-grandparents worship Jesus, I want to worship Jesus like that. Let me ask you this. The way that you worship Jesus, will your kids say, I want to worship Jesus like that? Or will they look at it as just something they did on Sundays every once in a while? 
maybe once a month, twice a month, maybe every once in a while at home, special events, a prayer here and there, never going to the Bible for advice. Maybe whenever you had a, a family argument, you didn't end it with you know, conviction and just on your knees in prayer and for asking God to forgive you for what you did to your wife or what she did to you. The way you worship Jesus, will that be talked about for generations? Jesus said that the way Mary worshiped him that day will be, and we are. We're doing it today. Let me ask you this. Are you living a life like her? Are you living a life that worships and loves Jesus with everything that you have? Not only that, with everything that you are. Are you worshiping Jesus with all that you have, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your time, all of your resources, all of your heart, everything, your, your emotions, everything that you do? Is Jesus on the tongue, at the tip of your tongue every time you wake up in the morning? Is Jesus at the forefront of your mind whenever you go through your day? When you get frustrated and upset with something, do you think about Jesus? When you get worried about life, do you think about Jesus? When you rejoice, do you praise Jesus from that? Do you worship him with everything that you have? Then you may be wondering, how do I live like that? Like, like, that's cool, Felix. You say all these things and you yell a little bit and you make it sound awesome. And you're like, okay, he's raising his voice. So that means I got to listen to him a little bit harder now. Okay, I'm going to write that down because he, he, he brought it at a different volume. But listen, how do we do that? Like, how do we really do that? How do we, how do we worship Jesus like that? Here's the practical way. I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, how was Mary able to do this? If we keep looking at your Bible, if you look at the book of Luke, you'll find the answer. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Let's look at what Mary does here. Verse 38. Luke 10, 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who had sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with so much serving. She was distracted by all the things she was trying to do in the house. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me, Lord. But the Lord answered, Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha. <laughs> oh, Martha, 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 Martha. Are you anxious or troubled about, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Look here. Mary has chosen the good portion, which, is, which will not be taken away from her. Here in Luke 10, and throughout the Gospels, we see Mary continually worshiping at the feet of Jesus. She was fixated on Jesus so much so that her sister Martha's like, hello, we got it. Like Jesus is here. The house has to be perfect. Everything has to be good. The dishes have to be washed. The meal has to be served right. Everything has to be perfect. It's Jesus. And, Mar and Mary's over there like, oh my God, Lord. And she's on her knees, like just worshiping him, right? She's fixated on him. And he, not only in Luke 10, but in John 10, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, Mary was throwing herself at the feet of Jesus, weeping. 
So Lazarus is raised from the dead. Mary goes up and, and she's like, oh my Lord, Je- Lazarus is dead. Forget hugging Lazarus. Jesus, you rose him from the dead. And she's at his feet, worshiping him again. Mark 14, again, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, anointing him with her hair and with the pure ointment and the pure nard. Mary was always in front of Jesus at his feet. And Jesus said that that is a position that is right. That is a position that is good. Whether it is learning, weeping, or serving in worship, this was the constant position that Mary had was at the feet of Jesus. And all the while, she was being transformed by Jesus in that time. She was humiliating herself in front of everyone, washing the hair, washing the feet of Jesus with her hair. So she was living in humility, bowing down to Jesus in that way. She was serving Jesus by doing that as well. She was worshiping Jesus whenever he rose her brother from the dead. Listen, you may be like, well, I've never seen him raise someone from the dead. Yes, you have. If you've ever seen someone come to know Jesus, you've seen someone raised from the dead because we were dead and our transgressions. But God came so rich in his mercy and he sent his son Jesus to save us. And so you're like, I don't, I don't have a reason to worship him like that. Hey, I never see him raise someone from the dead. Yes, you have. Worship him because you know that someone who has been saved, you've been saved, so worship him for that. That's what she did. She worshiped Jesus. And then she learned from Jesus. She learned from Jesus. She didn't just sit there and, and, and listen to Jesus from afar. No, she was at his feet whenever he was around. She wasn't listening to podcasts that he did. She wasn't going to church online, not in community. She wasn't reading his, his word every once in a while and just kind of reading it, closing it, and walking away, not even contemplating what it meant. She was at his feet, listening, eyes wide open. Oh, teach me, Lord. Teach me something else. Show me your way. And Jesus said, this is the way that is good. All the while she was being transformed and it was a natural thing for her to be surrendering her life to him. Our application has to be like this. The way we live our life has to be like this, but we cannot do it just once. Mary would have never done what she did if she would have just met Jesus one time and walked away. It was a continually coming back to the feet of Jesus repeatedly coming back, repeatedly humbling yourself in front of Jesus, repeatedly praying for forgiveness, repeating, repeatedly praying and worshiping, thanking him for all the things you have, always putting him in the forefront of your mind at the feet of Jesus. Listen, if we try to do it just once, we're not going to make it. You say, yeah, I had a good time with church one time, one time, and everything's good, but you're not going to persevere. When life gets hard, you're going to fail. You're going to get distracted and you're going to go away from Jesus. I've seen it time and time again. So we have to live like Mary did. Constantly at the feet of Jesus. Constantly going regularly, every day. Go to his word. Go to him in prayer. Constantly positioning ourselves in humility before our Savior you'll come to realize that it's not that we're asking, or that he is asking us to give him our life first. You're, you're like, well, that, that's asking a lot, Felix. Like, I got things to do, you know. I got places to be. You know, I, I can't do that. 
you're going to come to realize that it's not that he is asking you to give him your life first, but rather he is showing you that he has already given his life for you. And when you come to realize that, you know that he is not asking you to come and love him first, rather that he is showing you that he has already loved you first, that you have already been forgiven, that you have already been granted that freedom if you choose to accept it in him. And little by little, you will feel him changing and transforming to see that he really is better than anything else. That at his feet, you can find greatness. At his feet, you can find peace. At his feet, you can find all the things that you desire. And then when we constantly live our lives like that, we can see that we can worship him naturally as everything. And finally, let me encourage you with this. Let me leave you with this. Six days after Mary anointed Jesus, he was crucified, right? He died. Here's the reward that we have for living for Jesus like that. This is the reward. You're like, well, what's in it for me? This is what's in it for you. This is, this is what you get. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, strung out up there, lasting six plus nine hours, whatever long it took for him to take his last breath and die, dying for the people who rejected him, dying and being just cursed at, spit upon. You know, they hurled curses at him and all that, all that while he's hanging on the cross. I wonder, I wonder what he was breathing in. I wonder what he was breathing in. Was he breathing in the gift of Mary, the ointment that she had poured upon him? Was it on his skin still as he was sweating? Was it rolling over his eyes and into his nostrils? Was that ointment in his beard still? And as he would take his, his breath and struggle, and he would breathe in the little bit of breath he had, the little bit of strength he had left, did he breathe in the ointment that Mary anointed his body with? And I can't help but think that as he's dying on the cross, he's thinking, Mary worshipped me. Mary had the right idea. And I wonder if he was just comforted a little bit by the fact that there was someone out there who really did believe in him. Amongst the hatred, amongst the curses, amongst everyone who trampled upon him, did he stay up there and said, Mary is worshiping me. And I can, I know it because I can smell it. Christians, there should be a lingering ascent of Jesus on our lives too. When people see our lives, they should smell Jesus in our lives. There should be a lingering of what Christ is doing in our lives. Paul tells us that we are, he says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. We are his aroma. We are to be such a gift to him that he can smell it, that people can smell it. And it is something that we can only give him if we are willing to give him everything that we have and everything that we are because Christ gave us everything that he had on the cross.
and everything that he was on the cross. He was the alabaster jar that was broken for us. He was the precious ointment, and he humbled himself when he died for us, a perfect man, sinless in everything he did, dying for the sins of each and every person in this room here today. With everything that Jesus was, he was that for us, and we should worship him with everything that we have. Why? Because simply Jesus is better. He is better than anything that you have. He is better than you in this room here today. There is no one in this room that can say that they are better than Jesus. And for that one reason alone, you should bow at the feet of Jesus, give our lives to him, and completely surrender to him. Let's pray. Father God, as we, as we um, just think about you and what you have done for us in our lives, may we just forget the petty things that can pull us away from you. May we be willing to give our lives to you, Lord. May we be willing to give you everything, Lord, and, we, and give you praise and thanks for your patience with us. For Lord knows that we do not have the strength to give you all that we have on our own. But it is only through your Son's love and grace that we are able to give you all that we have. May we continually go back to the feet of Jesus, no matter how far we have strayed. May we continually go back to your Son's feet, Jesus Christ, no matter how far we've gone away. May we know that we are loved by you, Lord, that you sent your Son to die on the cross, and no matter what we do, you still love us. How many times we screw up? How many times we try to act like you, Lord, and judge accordingly the way you would? May we realize that we are not called for that. May we realize that we are not called to be people who just go around and live like that. May we live in a life of humility at the feet of Jesus constantly. May we constantly learn at the feet of Jesus. May we surrender our lives to you here today. Lord, and above all else, may we just know that you are better. This new year as we start off, may we, may we sing that as a praise. Sing it as an anthem. For this year, may we never forget that Jesus is better in all of our sorrows and all of our victory and all of our praises and everything that we do. May we remember that he is better. It's in Christ's Son's precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's all stand up and let's worship one more time. Jesus is better.